Welcome to Full and Frank, a series of podcasts from Acris Exchange, spanning the worlds of finance, politics, sport, and the media. Welcome to this Full and Frank podcast on behalf of Acris Exchange. I'm Michael Wilson. I'm joined by my good friend and veterans. City Observer David Buick. Welcome to the podcast, David. Greetings, Michael. And our special guests this morning. What a duo we have for you. Jane Oremosu and Maggie Semple, both successful in business and both the driving forces behind the iCubed group. We're going to be talking about imagination. We're going to be talking about intelligence and we're going to be talking about inclusion. And that's just a small part of it. But before we do that, let's just get a bit of background. Jane, first of all, how did you get started in all this? Give, just, give, give, us, a, give us a little little bit of background, a little bit of schooling if you like, if you must, etc. Well, good morning, uh, Michael and David, and, and thank you so much for, for having me, me on. Um, so I was, was born in the UK and at the age of five went back to Nigeria with uh, obviously my parents and my old brother at the time and had all my education in Nigeria. And my father was really particular. You know, he said to me, um, the one thing I can give you is your education. Once you've got your first degree, you can do whatever you like. And that's exactly what I did. I graduated, went home, having already booked a one-way ticket back to the, to the UK just to, to get some freedom and arrived on the shores in the early 90s. Worked in the corporate organization, climbed the, the, the ladder in, in sales leadership roles, was very successful and then just moved on to different things and and here we are today okay maggie what what about you what, what's your well, background i was born in london so i'm a real london girl and went to london top school. lady well done <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well done actually north london to be absolutely precise Me yeah, too. absolutely um and but I, my parents came from uh, british guyana and my father was um a professor a professional he was an engineer um and he had traveled from british guyana to the uk uh to work and so on we lived in a house we lived um we had a car we were um my father was well well achieved um as i grew up my father taught me particularly my father taught my sister and i what it was like or was going to be like for two young girls growing up in london what would you need to think about and do? And he gave me particularly the wherewithal, the, the political nounce, the understanding what it would mean to be growing up as a black woman in the UK. And for that, I'm very grateful because now both Jane and I, but I work with other people, coaching them and so on, mentoring. And it's that experience of knowing what it's like to be what, different from a host. What, 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 did, what, did, what sort of things did he say to you at that, at that, that kind of age? What, well, what at eight and nine, I remember distinctly quite a few things happened when I was around that age. One of them was we used to play a child, a children's game. Um, I won't say the words to it on reflection, my father taught us, were actually racist. And they actually denigrated black people just from the game that children played, of yeah. which we played. That's the sort of thing he would point out to us. As we got older, he introduced us to literature, um, to different political thinkers, society thinkers that informed our development. And now in the, I am where I am um, in the UK and in London and um, do a range of different things. 
You're, you're breathtakingly articulate and highly intelligent. Puts you, I think, on a, on a wonderful footing to be able to educate people uh, in a really positive and articulate way. Jane, tell us about your consultancy, your own business. I mean, JK Sales Consultancy was formed in 2018 after 27 years working for major uh, corporations. Why did you decide you'd had enough and you wanted to do your own thing? Um, well, it kind of, it happened organically, um, David. Um, I was driving, uh, had having very early starts driving into Canary Wharf because I worked for a huge corporate organization um, there and we were required obviously to, to be in the office every day. I ran a huge team uh, in a senior sales leadership position responsible for, for millions of pounds for the organization. Um, and one morning I got, I got a call um, and this actually it wasn't a call, it, it was a message on LinkedIn saying, I'd, I'd love to, to take you for lunch. My wife worked for you and I need your help. And we met for lunch. This particular individual worked for another large corporation that had just acquired a new business. And he needed someone to come in and, if you like, really look at the sales performance, look at how we can put strategies in place. Um, and I said, yes. And it was the best yes I'd ever said. And as a result of that, I left the corporate world, set up my own business, and it absolutely took off. Um, I've been all over the world as a result of that. I've been to what extreme was Australia working, helping, helping clients over there. I've also returned back to Nigeria, um, working with a big oil company as well. And it's been an absolutely fantastic journey. And uh, in that journey, obviously, Maggie and I have set up another business as well. So the world's your oyster it's been fantastic we'll, we'll we'll come we'll come on to that but let's let's just turn to maggie if we may um you you run an enormously successful fashion business i mean i don't know what the listeners to this know about the fashion business i happen to know a little bit about it uh and it's an incredibly tough thing to an incredibly tough business to survive in isn't it is that is that molded you do you feel um Yes, it is tough. So first of all, I would say that everyone, um, <laughs> depending on, you know, no matter what they think, how they dress and so on, everyone has a stake in fashion. It's just that fashion needs to be kind of rebranded to mean it touches all of us. We all wear clothes and we're all conscious about what we wear. My brand, um, so I run two businesses, this particular one um, called Maggie Semple Limited after my name, took a while for me and my team to decide on the name. That was quite interesting as a business. Um, my own personal name and that means you're the brand doesn't it Maggie absolutely. you are the brand yep. absolutely and sorry there's, thanks there's some, there's some kind of um tensions in that as well but I decided focus group said no no it's going to be called Maggie Semple which we did and we have done and it has been tough and it can be tough for any business but particularly a fashion one but when one has carved out and understood the clientele the people that are your clients the business that you're running is it's not that difficult so my i'm very clear about who we um cater for who we attract and they will be women we're tailors in covent garden uh, with our own shop we're tailors um for women in the corporate sector mainly all their lifestyle needs in terms of clothes and there'll be women probably around 40 plus 40 years plus right and once you've targeted the market you brand yourself and people know that it, I'm not at the whim and fancy of other fashion trends, really. 
what they're your own designs all the time maggie or your you and your team absolutely so our designs and it's always in relation to the client who will say what she likes and we will then create it together so it's a co-creation it really is so the two of you eventually got together what would you like to start with shall we start with your your little black book what what's just just explain maggie you can start if you like or jane i don't mind which just explain a little bit about the background to that and how that works you know as jane and i independently uh, worked with corporate organizations and in my other consultancy set up 20 years ago and it's global it's still what i do um we independently understood that actually when we talk about race, particularly, mm. when we talk about how we say things, many people get very embarrassed, don't want to say things, they think they're out of touch, they don't know what's the, the latest thing they can say. There's a real nervousness. So we thought it would be really helpful to write a blackionary, a glossary of terms and phrases, A to Z of words to do with race. And that's what drove us. We knew that people in corporate organisations, particularly at senior leadership, particularly, were having real difficulties, particularly after George Floyd's murder, 2020, of articulating and saying their stance, their beliefs on, well, really broader issues, but particularly on race. The book is there to help people get a better uh, vocabulary in this area a better vocabulary, and to understand why some words today are no longer acceptable to be used when discussing race. Um, it's, it may give people confidence to be stronger about what they believe in, but the book's aim is to say to people, do you know what this, words mean, this mm. word means? For example, mm -hmm. code switching. Have you any idea? Most people say, no, never mm. heard of it. And, so, and that's what the book does. It helps people understand better. I mean, Maggie's explained it extremely well, but it almost sounds like you have to have a dual purpose vocabulary that you this black book is a uh, little black book is immensely uh, important. It clearly must get circulated to all kinds of companies. Uh, it is fundamental, I would have thought, to the education. But is it is it a dual thing or do you think it's part of a springboard to get everybody singing from the same hymn sheet, if I put it clearly enough? So I, I would say, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it was a, a dual thing um, because vocabulary and language is, that's just what it is and it's constantly evolving. Um, and it's how do we keep up with it? And, and this book does that, but it doesn't only just help with the um, expansion of, of, of language. It helps with raising self-awareness because unless we are aware of how we process information, and how we then project that onto others, there is no way we can then change our behavior or our understanding. Um, and an example of that is colorblind. People will say, oh, I don't see your color, which is extremely untrue. And it's untrue because we know how the brain works. The brain instinctually looks for threats. The skin is the largest organ of the body. It is the first thing that is seen. And the first thing that is looked for are similarities or differences. So the first thing you do see is color. Of course it is. Why wouldn't you? It's quite natural. But by denying that to try and make someone feel comfortable is actually diminishing who they are. So unless you're aware of your own 
your own narrative, your own internal dialogue, how can you then be become aware that you it, it's it's actually not right to say that to somebody? Um, and so that's what the book does. It helps to raise a level of awareness within the corporate organization um, to get individuals to a point where they own their own narrative, but make sure it's right. And that's what this book does as well. So, and I just, so Michael, go ahead. Would, would, would it be neat, that, therefore, to move on to your cooperation with with iCubed um, and, and I ask you that because I, I, I don't want to skate over what you're saying at all um, but it, w when you look at the description of it it says it's a professional services company your job is about transforming companies informing them of race equity Th this word transformation comes up a lot inclusion comes up and an, an inclusive agile workplace that that's what you're helping companies work towards what what does what does that mean how, how does that how does that translate into business success because at the at the end of the day everything you say i'm sure is absolutely true but they are businesses aren't they as well are we yeah. and so what we do is take our own business practices into other businesses to share and to compare and to provide some support and resources um when we transform organizations or business units, we're very much bring to them our uh, experiences of working in business. And what that will look like is that we will do sometimes what we call a cultural audit. We will find out where the organization is in terms of, um, we usually have an analogy, don't we, Jane, of, um, of a plane journey. Where are you on the equity journey? Now, are you at home packing? Are you at the gate ready to board or are you on the plane? And we give some qualities with that as an example of us testing where an organization is. And what we find is that most people think they're actually very happily sitting on the plane. When we de debrief it, when we talk about that, actually most people are at, are at home or they're, or they're packing. The point of telling you that is that people actually don't know what they don't know when it comes to looking at equity. And let's be clear what equity is just to be helpful to your listeners. So when we talk about equality, that means that as a firm, as a business, we provide very proudly all of our teams and so on, our people, the opportunity to have equality of resourcing, equality of meetings. We, we, that's what we do. Equity is about when we look at people and say, for whatever reason, we need to adjust something. So it becomes equitable. And we focus on organizations being agile, that's mindset. We focus on organizations being equitable, understand the difference between equality and equity. And we focus on organizations transforming their behavior through mindset shifts so that they become better places for their business. Once they can do that and they're doing it, they will find that business will for them be increased and they'll have different range of clients what will only be good for them as a business. I don't know, Jane, if you want to add anything to that. Um, thanks, Maggie. I, the, the one thing I would say is one of the reasons we did set up IQ was because independently and individually, we were both being asked by organizations, how do they move forward? A lot of people were really afraid to, they, it wasn't that they were, well, I suppose they were afraid. They weren't sure what the next step was for them about the diversity and the inclusion piece. Um, it had been a tick box exercise for many. A lot had done unconscious bias training. 
a lot had had diversity inclusion under the HR umbrella. Um, and it was more something that they had, but it wasn't driving the business for the right reasons. And that was why we set iCubed up. Um, so it was very much about helping organizations understand the landscape, but how to move through that landscape without being fearful of making a mistake, because it's okay to make mistakes. That's how you learn. It really just depends on the type of mistake you make and what the learning is as a result of that. So we have um, uh, a lot of consultants who work with us that go into businesses. A lot of the work that we do um, in the transformation is executive coaching. We work with the C-suite because it, it's kind of a top-down as well as a bottom-up approach because everyone has to be involved in helping to change the, uh, the landscape of an organization. So everybody feels really comfortable where they work because there's people a, will leave. There's a, there's a, there's a the tremendous takeaway take for me, the, the, the take, the take, I don't know about David, but for me, the, the takeaway from this is that something that you said, Jane, earlier on, which I, I'd never actually realized, which is, of course, there is that feeling of fear about color. There, there is, you know, you see somebody with a dark skin, you, you, unconsciously, you know, I, I would say that I am colorblind, but actually listening to you, I realize, of course, that I'm not because for all, all, all the reasons you've just said, that, that, is, that is an enormous takeaway. You know, that, that's, that's something I will, I will remember um, when, when I go through my, my professional life. But I suppose the other problem is that, that you know, a, a lot of companies, I mean, you, you, you've got a lot of work to do, haven't you? Because given the, the geographical nature and the, the demographics of the country and all the rest of it, and this is just the UK, I mean, I'm not talking about other countries that you work in, I would imagine very few companies actually have gone along your airline flight and managed to land safely at the other end, have they, Jane? I mean, just, before, just before Jane or, or Maggie respond, can I just chuck in something? Because I think it might be all part of the same thing. Michael, I endorse entirely with what you're saying. I had a conversation about four months ago with Michael Holding, and he was saying that when we have dealing with this problem, we're dealing with it to start with at the wrong age. And what would make your lives, Jane and Maggie, much easier were if schools were better educated and better informed. And maybe there should be a little black book that should go to schools as well. And if we start at the basics, whether it's history, and it's got to be the history that's not just the normal thing that we all did when we went to school that learned about, you know, William the Conqueror and then the Elizabethans and the Plantagenets and the, the rest of it. It's about a much broader based style of education. Do you think we need to start at a much lower level or is that already happening that it's because of my age, I've sort of missed it? It is in schools. Schools have bought our book. So there, there is that oh, proactiveness oh, already. However, education starts at home. It starts with yourself. It starts with your family. Um, sometimes we put the onus and responsibility on others when really it's ours. Um, and it, it's... The only way we can be truly inclusive is if we all play a part. Like that's right. Maggie, have you got anything to add to that? I mean, I do. probably loads. I, Good. Well, I used to be a deputy head of a large school in London. I sat on the governments in the late 90s national curriculum reform areas and so on, where the whole thing about what do we want our young people of the future to have knowledge about, um, at that point, 
never really included a broader curriculum than Western European philosophy, really. That's what it was based on. So we still learn about William the Conqueror. We still learn about Elizabeth I. That, that's what we, we still do in the UK. Starting, and Jane's right, you know, in some schools, they've already found ways of including in their curriculum other reference points so that the young people are more broad in their understanding. Um, it's not at all um, across the UK, particularly England and Wales, schools, Northern Ireland, not, not always the same, um, but some schools see the real benefit of it. However, there is, it's a mute point whether there's a correlation between those who have been to school and understand this, then as they get older, start working in the workforce. That bit really hasn't really, really proved that it's, that that's, would work. So I hear quite a lot in corporate organisations with people saying, well, you know, Maggie, if we all did this earlier, it would be different. I'm not so sure that's the case. The corporate culture is so strong that in order to fit in, whoever you are, you will perhaps forego some of your own thinking, beliefs, your authentic self, just in order to be successful. So it's not a direct correlation. Mm. Learn about it in school. Therefore, workplaces when you're older will be different. Not, not so easy. Really isn't so easy. Okay. Here's, here's, here's the difficult one, which, which I always struggle with as well. Is So, so where does merit come into this? Where, where, does, where does meritocracy? So you've, you're faced with yeah. two people that they are competing for the same job. The one has a dark skin. The other one is white skinned. Is 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 there is, is there a is there a bias towards all right? We, we you know we we we're going to have equity in the company. We're going to have inclusion. Do we therefore promote the person with the dark skin because of the dark skin or because of ability? That that's unfortunately. I mean, I'm sorry to raise it, but you know, here I am, big <laughs> size, twenty and a half feet, trampling all over every everything that you've put to everything that you've said. But that that's what I'm interested in because I am running a business, aren't I? I invite yeah. you in and I say, you know, I really understand what you're saying, but unfortunately, life's, life's, life's hard. And, and it will always be hard. So let's be clear about what we mean by meritocracy and merit. Mm. In our companies today, we're regulated, as you both, all of us know, uh, quite well in sense of what's acceptable in terms of acts in laws and so on. When we talk about merit in any business, and we appoint on merit, A, you have to believe in meritocracy, of which I think is another um, kind of discussion, to be honest, not for today. But let's say that we do believe in meritocracy. That is, everyone has the opportunity to be successful, apply for a role and get it on merit. Absolutely. What we can do, which is what companies do, is they actually distinguish between positive action and positive discrimination. If someone was appointed and they were not very good, if they were coming up for a role, one was black, one was white, and you chose the, the dark-skinned person knowing that they were not very good and they actually didn't meet the criteria, that would be called positive discrimination. And it's actually illegal in the UK. Positive action is when you say, when you have two people in front of you, your example, they're both equally talented. Yeah. Both could do the job. You can then in law and in practice say as a panel, actually this person, dark skinned person, we are going to um, appoint because we are underrepresented um, in our business of people that are, I'll just say dark skinned or black. That is allowable, but it has to pass the merit test for that business. And it would be discrimination 
if someone who wasn't equally qualified were to get a role based on the colour of their skin, their gender, their ability, and so on. Hope that That's helps. It does help a lot. I'd like to revert back to Jane now to, to ask a question. Just having gone through the mill for the last 60 years in business, having seen no regulation back in 1960, to seeing a mountain now, one of the positive things that's come out is HR, which is a serious business now. And I think it's on the whole pretty constructive. But one thing that I'd like to comment from you, Jane and Maggie, if I may, is it strikes me that we haven't had the support from the governments of this country in the course of the last 20 years that we should have? Or is that a figment of my imagination? I suppose my answer to that question will be, I don't get involved in the government. I didn't grow up here. So my lived experiences are extremely different to Maggie's. Mm. So there's also the, it's about understanding that people come from different starting points. And so my experience of this government or the last 20 years of this government will be very different to, to Maggie's because I had no preconceived ideas about this government when I arrived in this country. That's a straight answer. Maggie, can yeah, you put a little bit more flesh yeah, out of it for us? Yeah, absolutely. So let's just step back for a moment and think about regulation and, and HR and so on. What we have today has come about through the efforts and work of many, many people, which means today we have, in, and it's a government framework that actually is there to support employees and employers, to support. That's what legislation does. Um, I work a lot in law, I used to work in regulation, and it is about what can we put in place to, for the greater good of all. Now, depending on your political persuasion, you may say, well, this government or previous governments didn't do that very well. But we need a governing structure to help businesses perform and do well. Of course, the nuance with all that is you have HR, which, as you say, 60 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, was a different kind of being. Today, it is highly professionalized, thank goodness. Um, when we go into HR teams, there are groups of people who are there for the well-being of their employees and their business so it can grow um, and also there's always someone in business now that works in government relations because as a business you need to understand what the thinking of, of government is and think tanks and, and so on you may not agree with it all but it's there and it has a purpose to play so I think government should be doing more but it has a purpose to play. Well, communication is there of some sort at the moment, but it needs needs improving. Absolutely. Yeah, got Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I suppose, really, um, I, I I would like to ask, if I may, and I don't wish to bring this to to a, an untimely end or anything like that. But what 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 would you say is next for IQ? Because those kind of ambitions, you know, are are pretty big. I think you're going to find it very very tough. I I wish you the greatest of success. But what what would you actually like? What's your what's your wish list for IQ, Jane? For uh, uh, well, I, I don't I don't think it's tough. Um, I think we have a huge opportunity. We're one of a kind. You will never find anyone else like um, Maggie and I. The dynamics between <laughs> us, our experiences. Um, we, we identified the opportunity and we took immediate action. That's who we are. Between us, we run five businesses. 
which is probably unheard of between two black women. Um, so I, I think that we are certainly on a winner and we think really big because why wouldn't you? So for us, it's changing the world. When, when, you, when you have a look at our, um, our kind of strap line, it's about creating inclusive cultures now and for future generations. And we will, we've started that already. You change one person, the trickle effect is, is, is incredible. Um, already, Michael, you said today that you've had a different thought and a different perspective. That in itself means our work is, is worthwhile. Um, and what's next? I'll, I'll ask, I'll let Maggie answer that question. Yeah, well, I guess for us, it's about just, this is an example of people talking about these issues is really important. So people, so many people are frightened to. So we are enablers of conversation, hopefully intelligent, sensitive, empathetic conversation. Uh, for us, the next thing is to have more, if I just call them conversations, I'll just wrap it up like that, to have more conversations, to be in more boardrooms, uh, to help boards and their customers and their clients to get a better service. That's what we're there to do. Uh, we will increase our consultants, Jane mentioned them earlier, increase our number of our consultants who we then deploy in businesses um, and we will write further books to be helpful to people. So... I must, yeah, I'm, I'm sure of that. I was just going to say that neither of you, if I may use the terminology, are Charlotte Atlas. In other words, you kind of the world on your shoulders. And obviously, you've got a very good structure there for getting the word out on not only a domestic basis, but on an international basis. I mean, this, your company strikes me as stunningly exciting, wonderful. And I imagine you're going gangbusters. But are you having, are you managing to attract the right people to work at a very senior level with you, because I think that's very important in order to be, how can I put it, totally inclusive. Yes, and, and we are quite um, particular with who we work for from an organisational perspective, um, where we can very quickly spot an organisation that just wants us to work with them for a tick box exercise. Yeah. Um, we're looking at full transformation, or, and that takes time. An organization that's been in existence for 150 years will have a culture that old. To transform it will probably take that length of time, which we don't have. But what we do have is the motivation and the desire to change things. And so we will work with organizations from any time, any, any sort of time period between 12, 12 months to, to a couple of years so that we become embedded within the organization and we really help them through change because change is difficult. It's probably the most um, consistent thing that exists, but it's difficult because you're having to change yourself. And if you, depending on where you are on the plane, will determine how keen you are to start that journey. So um, we're really excited with the organizations that we're working with. Uh, we have quite a lot. Uh, a lot of the C-suite executives that we're working with are really starting to implement the change. Change starts with thought, then with behavior, with action, et cetera. And it's, um, it's going really, really well. Well, I'm sure it is. I mean, the, the one thing that uh, strikes me is that uh, your chemistry between the two of you and your zestful enthusiast, you've made the most wonderful television or radio program. Have you done something? <laughs> <laughs> that's very kind of you oh, it's true it's true i'm absolutely bowled over fantastic michael anything to add kind sir 
No, I, 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 can I please be on the programme as well? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> can I be the, the grumpy old person on the programme? Oh, well, you may be right. However, <laughs> no, I think you're absolutely right. It would be, it would be absolutely stunning, stunning listening. Um, yeah. Don't we? Ladies, you would be fantastic. Good luck to you. Absolutely. You. And we wish you every success. Thank, thank, you. thank you. And thank you so much. We've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.